Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lords of Limited Theros Beyond Death Crash Course. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is my podcast co-host, partner in crime, Ethan Sachs. What's up, Ethan? Are you ready to talk some Theros? I am very ready. I'm very excited after that very robust introduction, Ben. How are you doing this morning? I know, I crushed it, right? You did, you did. 10 out of 10. I'm doing great. Rolled out of bed, did a little last minute studying on the old spoilers, and I am ready to go. Yeah, I gotta say, it was tough going back to Cube after doing my uh, full set review with Alex Cortacalls on Friday. I was like, I'm kind of pumped for this set. I want to, I mean, I'm always pumped for a new limited set. Um, So just like diving deep into it, doing the set review, doing this crash course. I'm like, I'm, I'm jonesing to get my, my hands on, on these cards digitally. I agree. I am currently laptopless and I'm going to be out of town the weekend of the pre-release. So I, oh. I need to buy a laptop just so that I can <laughs> play magic this coming weekend. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a responsible investment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so if you are tuning in to our crash course here for the first time, we do things a little differently here in uh, spoiler season, in set review season, that sort of thing. Uh, we're not going to be doing a card by card evaluation, though Ben and I have graded every single card, and that will be in a spreadsheet available where you download each episode. But here we're going to sort of look at a bunch of big picture stuff, and then the cards that we'll be talking about specifically later on in the show are going to be cards where Ben and I had two gradations of a difference. So like if I gave a card a B and he gave it a C plus, we're going to talk about why we had such a a big difference on those cards. And then we'll end the show by ranking our top three commons and top two uncommons in each color. But before we get into any of that, we got to talk about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It's where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Anyone who gives back to the show gets access to, as we say, the best limited testing team out there, the Lords of Limited Discord 24-7 limited tech support. And uh, folks, Ben's going to be joining me at Grand Prix, New Jersey in a couple weeks. Heck yeah, I am. It's going to be sweet. I'm booked. Hotel room booked. I'm locked for the main event. Let's go. So you can expect us to be extra active this season in trying to mine the Discord for all that it's worth uh, in the weeks leading up to that. But if you are interested in attending a GP in the early season here, if you're just interested in grinding a Mythic on Arena, farming people for tickets and trophies on Magic Online, the Lords of Limited Discord is the place for you. We've got a whole mess of people to welcome to the fray this week. Ben, you want to join me in welcoming Matthias, Dr. Unks, Chia, TK, Ross W, Steven, Valerie, 
Sean, Paul, Gunner, Blemboy, Samuel, Ross N, Raleigh, Atai, Chris, Joshua, Sean, Meet the Future, Matthew, Elfric, William, Aaron, Sean, Chris, Julian, PDX Pete, Bernstein, Charles, Joel, Ben, and Joseph. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Those people know what's up, folks. Get on in here while the getting's good. All right, so I alluded to this sort of grading scale that we'll be using when we're talking about cards. Um, This is sort of the grading scale that I think everyone out there uses made famous by limited resources, the A through F scale. Ben, you want to talk us through what we'll be doing here? Yeah, so A's are your bombs, your game winners, good in many situations, especially when behind some of the best cards in the set bomb rares, and hyper-efficient removal spells. Cards such as Embercleave, Oko, Thief of Crowns, and The Great Henge. These, these are strong cards that pull you into a color or make you want to play that color. Reasons to be in a particular color or combo of colors. So think about Bacon to a Pie, Archon of Absolution, Beanstalk Giant, or Revenge of Ravens. C's are your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck. Very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells. Cards like Fairy Guide Mother, Rimrock Knight, didn't say please and scalding cauldron these are sometimes playable below average these are your like last includes 22nd 23rd type cards knight of the keep corridor monitor and wolf's quarry your f's are your unplayables cards you should never put in your deck weird rares such as the magic mirror and deafening silence i saw that card when i was putting this list down do you know what that card does i had no idea uh players can't cast more than one non-creature spell a turn yeah, I had just like never seen that card before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I have seen people play it before, maybe like once or twice. It's it's a horrible card. <laughs> I hadn't even uh, looked at it in packs. I must have just read it once <laughs> and just written it off. <laughs> That's so funny. Your brain just like never saw it. So we've got a couple sort of like, you know, auxiliary grades to give to these letters sometimes. Uh, the first of these is sideboard grades. So these are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. Uh, Return to Nature, Fell the Pheasant, True Love's Kiss. And worth noting that some of those artifact and enchantment destruction cards this time around in the set are going to be main deck cards and not sideboard cards. Right. Next, we've got build arounds, cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great. Cards like Trail of Crumbs or Improbable Alliance. And we've got synergy cards as well. These are cards that these aren't like build around cards, but they are cards that are going to provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So you think about Ginger Brute or All the Glitters, Shambling Suit and Barrow Witches. And we don't have this on this list here. I don't think we sort of implemented this, but I, I found myself saying this a lot in the set review with Alex on Friday that a lot of cards, I was like, the first copy of this is a blank grade. But thinking about like diminishing returns as another sort of uh, way to to grade cards, like the first copy may be uh, a certain a C plus, say, but then after that, it gets worse in multiples. Interesting. I like it. So Theros Beyond Death has some new mechanics as well to touch on very briefly, the first of which is escape. I also had a, an aha moment about escape a few days ago. So escape is uh, tacked onto a card. It's an alternate cost. You can escape something when it's in your graveyard, and it will come with a mana cost and a number of cards you have to exile from your graveyard. So for example, escape two in a red, exile three cards. You could then cast that spell for two in a red and exiling three cards from your graveyard. I had this mentally shortcutted as flashback, so I thought you could only do it once. Turns out you can escape as many times as you want from the graveyard. So as long as you've got the resources of cards to exile from your graveyard, you can keep casting these escape cards over and over and over again, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, someone mentioned that in our Discord. We didn't really like explicitly say that on the last week's episode. I did realize that, but it sounds like it would have been good to talk about that for your sake. Absolutely. 
<laughs> Next up, we've got Devotion. So this is back from Original Theros. We talked about this last week. Um, this is a mechanic that cares about the number of colored sources among casting costs of permanence in play for you. So some cards... I think famously Grey Merchant of Asphodel comes into play. It's three black, black for a two, four. When it comes into play, you drain your opponent equal to your devotion to black. So if it's the only black permanent you have when you cast it, you're going to drain them for two. They'll lose two life and you'll gain two life. But if you've got other things like enchantments or other creatures lying around, that's going to add to your devotion as well. Constellation is just a, a, a key word to note that something's going to happen whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield. So if you see constellation on a card, it's going to care about other enchantments entering the battlefield. And lastly, sagas are back from Theros. So these are enchantments that come into play. They've got either three or four chapters usually. Uh, they come into play. You do the thing in the first chapter, and then at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase every turn, it ticks up until you get to the last chapter, whether that's three or four. You do the thing and then sacrifice it. And there's also a pseudo-heroic mechanic that we're probably going to be referring to. Heroic cared about when something was targeted, and there are cards in the set that care about being targeted, but it doesn't explicitly say heroic on them. So if we say heroic, that's what we're talking about. All right, moving on to the stats, baby. So this is sort of the, the crux of the crash course here. We have to look at you know, all the creatures in the format, all the removal spells, just try and glean as much sort of big picture information as we can. So just know that we're only referring to commons and uncommons when we talk about this. So starting off with the common power and toughness stats that we've got, there are 54 creatures at common in Theros Beyond Death. The average power is 2.59 and the average toughness is 2.83. And to just give you a little context, Eldraine was 2.25 slash 2.74. So this is a pretty big bump in power uh, on average from Eldraine and a slight bump in toughness. Yeah, those are some big boys. Yeah, it's very, very interesting here. So, so we're looking at on average, and as we, we'll see as we go through, on average, everything looks like it's a 2-3. Um, so if we look at the mode of power and toughness, that's what we're getting here. The mode power is 2, the mode toughness is 3, and in Eldraine, it was a 2-2. Two, two. And it's usually a 2-2. Two, two. I'd say when it's a 2-3, it's an outlier. And if we take a look at uncommon power and toughness, there are 44 total creatures at uncommon. And at uncommon, there are some creatures that have either star for their power or star for their toughness. We're only incorporating the devotion from that creature. So for example, if something's black, black, star 3, it would be a 2-3. So the average here power is 2.25, and the average toughness is 2.68 and to compare that to throne of eldraine eldraine power was a little bigger at 2.42 and the toughness was quite a bit lower at 2.38 so almost 0.3 higher toughness on average here for uncommons and the mode here for power toughness of uncommons is 2.2 much like it was in eldraine and we usually see this that uncommon creatures have lower stats than commons on average because you're going to get a lot of your utility creatures uh, in your uncommon slot and just sort of a lot of like raw power toughness vanilla creatures at common and so if we take a look at overall power and toughness stats there's 98 creatures total at common or uncommon and eldraine had 105 so a few more creatures in throne of eldraine 61 of these 98 creatures have power two or less and almost exactly the same in eldraine 45 creatures here have toughness two or less in Theros Beyond Death. And Eldraine had 10 more. It had 55 creatures with toughness two or less. And this is a stat I think that's going to be pretty relevant. 16 of these 98 creatures have toughness one, which is not a ton. Eldraine had 25 in comparison, so nine more. 
But everything that's got one toughness, there are a lot of ways to punish one toughness creatures. And we're going to take a look at those a little later in the episode. Yeah. So when we were going through the set review, I was noticing how much X1 hate there was. And then when I put these stats together and realized that there were only 16 creatures, I'm almost certain that since we've been doing the Crash Course style episodes, 16 is the lowest number of one toughness creatures we've ever seen. Um, so I think the abundance of X1 hate you know, is going to punish these 16 creatures. But, you know, these this is not a huge portion of the pie in terms of the creatures you'll have access to. If we take a look at converted mana cost stats, the average CMC for a creature is 3.20 in Theros Beyond Death, almost exactly the same as Throne of Eldraine, which was 3.15. And the mode here was split uh, as the same number of two and three CMC creatures among commons and uncommons. And in Eldraine, it was just two. So a little bigger and a little more expensive on average than Throne of Eldraine. Yeah. And so the, the thing that I want to keep that in mind for is when we look at the removal, which is coming up next. So we've got a spreadsheet here. So as I said, we'll have a spreadsheet of all of our grades available for when you download the show. And we'll also have a list of all the sort of combat tricks that you can uh, see in the format and also all the removal spells that you can see in the format. So there are 21 total common and uncommon removal spells or things that that I deemed removal spells. Uh, Eldraine had 22. Three, just even three, is the average removal spell cost. It's nice, clean. I like yeah, it. Very clean. In Eldraine, it was 2.45. So this is a significant bump in cost. So we're paying three mana essentially to kill 3.2 mana costed creatures. So you're getting just a very, very slight discount on your removal, depending on, you know, what you're killing. And the reason that we started doing all this, if you're fairly new to the podcast, was in Ixalan, we missed so hard. And I think if we had taken the time to look at how the removal matched up with the average converted mana cost of the creatures, we'd have seen that the removal was really clunky and expensive. So since then, we've tried to match those up and, and predict just sort of how good the removal was going to be in a format. So 12 removal spells at common, 9 at uncommon, and just a few noteworthy things to, to run down through the removal. So as usual, as it, it always is in these sets, it's concentrated in red and black. 12 of the 21 spells are either red or black, and that, that's usually the case about half of the the removal spells end up being in those two colors. We did not count enchant removal in these stats. So revoke existence, return to nature, those are going to be your sideboardish type cards, which are actually going to be probably happily main decking one to two of those cards in this format. And then there's mystic repeal. This is single green for an instant put target enchantment on the bottom of its owner's library. And Farika's libation, which is an edict effect, two in a black for an instant, choose one target opponent sacrifices a creature or target opponent sacrifices an enchantment. Yeah, I think I, I counted that as a... A, an edict effect, but just noting that there are these four spells at common or uncommon to deal with enchantments. Um, and, and those could be considered removal. We just didn't hear for, for these purposes. And then bounce. I think the first of these cards is going to be a key card in the format. This is mm -hmm. stern dismissal, single blue for an instant return target creature or enchantment and opponent controls to its owner's hand. If you remember back to original Theros, was it Voyage's End? Was that the name of it? Yeah, that's the one in a blue bounce a thing, scry one. Yeah, that was the best blue common and one of the top commons overall because there was so much Voltron magic going on because of Bestow. So I really think even though there's no bestow here, it does look like there's a lot of suiting up of creatures with enchantments going on and combat tricks and a lot of combat and being able to interact for one mana, I think is going to be pretty key. Yes, I agree. There's also a larger bounce spell here. This is Sea God's Storm for blue blue for a sorcery return up to three target creatures and or enchantments to their, zone, their owner's hand. So while these cards are interaction, again, they were not counted 
as removal. Uh, similarly, another way that blue has to interact in most formats and in this format for sure, there are three counter spells that we did not count, but I think are worth noting here. They don't quite fall into removal or quite fall into combat tricks, but they are things to keep in mind. So there's two at common, Memory Drain, which is two blue blue for a counter spell with Scry 2. There's Deny the Divine, which is two and a blue for an instant to counter a creature or enchantment spell, and you exile it if it's countered this way. And then at Uncommon, there's Whirlwind Denial, which is two and a blue for an instant. And it says for each spell and ability your opponent controls, counter it unless its controller pays four. But so it's essentially just convolute. And then if we're looking at removal, six of our removal spells are enchantment based, the first of which is Banishing Light. So that's two and a white for an O-ring effect where you exile something until Banishing Light leaves the battlefield. There's Dreadful Apathy, two and a white for a pacifism effect, Enchanted Creature can't attack or block, and then you can also pay two and a white to exile Enchanted Creature, like that card a lot. Mm -hmm. And then there's Heliod's Punishment, which we're going to talk about later because Ben and I, I think this is our most disagreed upon card, at least in terms of our initial grade. So we'll talk about that a little later. Moving on, there's two in blue. There's Ichthyomorphosis, which is sort of the Casmina's Transmutation, Frogify of the set, two and a blue for an aura. Enchanted Creature loses all abilities and is a blue fish with base power and toughness one and then there's also one with the stars which i did not understand until talking to alex about it so this is three and a blue for an aura enchant creature or enchantment enchanted permanent is an enchantment and loses all other card types so if you put this on a vanilla creature it basically kills it right like it just turns it into an enchantment it loses being a creature now if it has activated abilities as a creature it still has those or if it has like static text it still has that. That's still relevant, but it is no longer a creature. Right. And other enchantments, like if you put this on a creature that has two enchantments on it, the enchantments will fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last enchantment based removal we've got here is Myers Grasp. It's one and a black for an enchantment target creature gets minus three, minus three. I'm pegging that right now. Best card in the set. Best common in the set. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Rather. <laughs> there are a lot of I busted mean, rares. It does, <laughs> it does feel pretty like mythic common status. Like every card I feel like I was like, oh, you know what this goes well with is Myers Grasp and it's already just super, super efficient. And then the last thing to note about the removal is there is a lot of X1 hate in red. So two of the spells that were counted as red removal, maybe like sort of cheating a little bit but these were cards that specifically target one toughness creature so there's a underworld fires which is one in a red for a sorcery that deals one to each creature in planeswalker and then there's wrap in flames which is three in a red for a sorcery to deal one damage to each of up to three target creatures and those creatures can't block this turn so a, a lot of x1 hate there and we'll, we'll get to more of that in just a little bit so taking a look at archetype support and synergy support just to see how established all of these mechanics are and maybe what the more supported color pairs are going to be we're just going to take a look at some of the keywords and things like that so first up is escape There are 15 total cards in the set that have the escape mechanic, six of them at uncommon and nine of them at common, mostly in black and green. There's five cards in black, three cards in green, three cards in blue, three red, and one card in white. Eight cards in the set self mill. All of them are black or green, except for Sweet Oblivion and Towering Mystic. Those are two blue cards that help you put cards in the graveyard as well. So concentrated on the Sultai colors there. So my biggest question here, and I was equating this uh, when I was talking to Alex with my misunderstanding of the city's blessing from Rivals of Ixalan. You know, I think that was a a mechanic that we were like, well, how often are you going to have 10 permanents in play? It feels like not often. It was our initial guess at that. And 
that ended up not being the case, right? That it ended up that it was a pretty supportive mechanic. And especially in the Esper colors, that was something that you could do quite often. Um, you would build your decks towards that and, and, and have that in mind. Again, here, I'm like, how often cards don't go to the graveyard that often in a limited game of magic. And especially with a lot of the removal spells or combat tricks in this set being permanents, their enchantments in this format. So that's even less things that are normally going to the graveyard that are not going to be this time around. So my big question going into this format is how often are you going to be able to escape? And this feels like the new mechanic. It's the headliner for the set. So I would imagine often, but maybe it's just a constructed plant and we're not going to get to do it that often in limited. I don't know what your thoughts are about this. My guess is three times a game on average. And then if you have so many, that's how often you were delving, right? You'd expect to delve 12 cards away over the course of a game. Right. But so you had to be pretty dedicated to doing that. So you needed to draft enablers. You couldn't just like, expect to be able to delve without working for it i think Mm, i I would say two to three times and some of the escape costs are cheaper i mean if you're escaping four escaping five right as the better the cards are the higher the escape cost goes Mm -hmm. i don't know i think i like escape as a mechanic i think it's going to come up a lot i think there's definitely diminishing returns on the number of escape cards you have in your deck and certainly multiple copies of an escape the same escape card yeah i'd be very very curious to see how this mechanic plays out and what the sort of ways to optimize it are next up is constellation and there are a whopping 67 total enchantments at common or uncommon so 32 common and 35 uncommon that is a large representation there that is way more than i would have thought before i saw that on paper uh, 32 total enchantment creatures, a pretty even split here, 15 at common and 17 at uncommon. And then there are 10 cards with the text constellation and they're all banned, right? We've got three white, three blue, three green, and one in blue green. All of those are mostly minor effects like plus one, plus one until end of turn, except for Utropia, the twice favored, which is busted. Yeah. This is one blue-green for a 2-2 legendary creature constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains flying until end of turn. Yeah, that card is busted with a capital B. Next up, we've got Devotion. Devotion is not very present in this set. There's 15 cards that have the text Devotion, which uh, is partially bolstered by a cycle of five uncommon creatures. Black by far has the best payoffs with Devotion in Gray Merchant. That's three black black for the two four. When it ETBs, you drain life equal to the number of Devotion to black. And there's Blight Breath Katoblapas, which is four black black for a three two. And when it ETBs, you give target creature minus X minus X, where X is your Devotion to black. I think that guy is good, but I think it's a little on the expensive side. Yeah, the body it leaves behind is just so underwhelming. Uh, White, I think, has the second best payoffs with cards like Daybreak Chimera, which I was kind of blown away when I read. This is three white white for a three three. It has flying and it costs X less to cast where X is your devotion to white. There's also a Reverent Hoplite. This is four and a white for the one two. And when ETBs, you make a number of one one white human soldier creature tokens equal to your devotion to white. So one of the best ways to go wide in white. Next up, we'll be looking at what seems to be a, a base of what Blue is trying to do, which is cast spells on opponent's turn. Ben, we got to come up with some elegant name for this. Drago. Drago. Yeah, but Drago is good, and I don't think this mechanic is good in this format. I um, really hope it's good. I really want it to be good. 
So there are four sad cards that care about casting spells let's, on your opponent's Let's turn. not project your feelings on this mechanic here. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, that's a did I, did I type that? Oh. Um, so there's, uh, I believe, two blue, one red, and then the blue red uncommon. We'll read that one. Um, won't read the other ones here. This is mischievous chimera, blue red for a two two enchantment creature with flying. And when you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, it deals one damage to each opponent, and you scry one. So quite an aggressive card there. Um, three of these are uncommon. One is a common. So you know this is feels like a pretty uncommon based sort of payoff, but there are quite a bit of cards uh, in blue in particular that let you operate at instant speed. Next up, we've got the quote heroic mechanics. There's five cards that care about this, two common, three uncommon, and they are all in Boros. And going wide seems pretty supported. One thing when I was I was going through and doing my grading on stream, somebody was saying that this seems not aggressive necessarily, but maybe that you want to stall the board out and go wide. And then once you've gone wide, you do sort of a combo kill finish. Yeah, I could see that. This seems like the most straightforward archetype to me so far, at least in my like cursory look at the format and feels like one of the stronger ones to me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was this sort of combo kill idea, but it definitely looks like it can also just be a very aggressive curve out style deck. Mm hmm. Next up, we've got Sacrifice. I think this is going to make you and I both very happy that this does look like a quite supported uh, theme in the format. So there are four repeatable sack outlets that exist in black and red. So sort of the, the headliner here is probably the uh, black red uncommon. This is Slaughter Priest of Mogus, black red for a 2-2. Two -two. It says whenever you sack a permanent, it gets plus 2 plus 0 oh until end of turn, and you can pay 2 to sacrifice another creature or enchantment. Slaughter Priest of Mogus gains first strike until end of turn there's also blood aspirant this is a good sacrifice payoff and outlet this is one in a red for a one one whenever you sacrifice a permanent put a plus one plus one counter on blood aspirant and it also has one in a red tap sacrifice a creature or enchantment blood aspirant deals one damage to target creature that creature can't block this turn there's a land pad of death's vigil which is one in a black for a one three at common and you can pay one sack a creature to have each opponent lose a life and you gain one life yeah pretty minor there and this last one we know is good from war of the spark this mm -hmm. is soul reaper of mogis this is two in a black for a two three and has the ability two in a black sack a creature draw a card yeah so whenever we see a bunch of these sacrifice outlets i'm always like well is there an active treason variant or active treason itself and there is in this format this is portent of betrayal which is three and a red for sorcery gain control of target creature until end of turn untap that creature it gains haste until end of turn scry one so a little little pricey here uh four mana not three mana but a lot of ways to sacrifice creatures so uh so you can perhaps build the steal your opponent's stuff and sacrifice it style deck well and i think normally sacrifice outlets are a little more expensive than they are so i don't think it matters quite so much that this is four mana instead of three mana right if you're paying like six mana total to do this you're happy yeah, I'd say so. Which I think is going to be the case most of the time. Yeah, and then I think also important to note that there are token makers in white, satyr tokens in red, and goat tokens. So they all seem to support this theme of being able to sacrifice stuff, which I am looking forward to. If we take a look at sweepers, there's not a ton, and both of them are rare. First of them is at Storm's Wrath. This is two red red for a sorcery. Storm's Wrath deals four damage to each creature and each planeswalker. And then there's Shatter the Sky, which is two white white for a sorcery. Each player who controls a creature with power four or greater draws a card, and then you destroy all creatures. So they're both at rare. So, you know, you're not going to see them maybe all that often, but they're not mythic. So you also are going to see them some of the time. 
As far as X1 Punishers go, we talked about those a little earlier. There are eight cards here in the set that punish X1s, and a lot of them do so very efficiently. They're not necessarily like sideboard cards that you're going to be sighting in against X1s. I think your X1s running around are going to be facing cards in the main deck that actively punish them. Yeah, so there's like things that explicitly just like deal a damage to thing or give minus one, minus one to a thing. But then we're also talking about things that like leave around multiple bodies like Omen of the Sun, our preview card that's sort of like the raise the alarm variant. Heliod's Pilgrim, which is a three mana one, two that lets you tutor up an enchantment card or an aura card from your library and put it into your hand. So like, you know, cards that are going to leave around things that, you know, trade off with X1s effectively are also going to punish them pretty hard. Another thing that we started tracking i think since since hour of devastation because it felt like a lot of the things that we saw that helped slow a format down back when it was like you know triple big set and then you do like two of the small set one of the big set um was incidental life gain really helped to uh to show like if control decks had legs or if there were things to punish aggro decks there's not a lot of incidental life gain in this format it's concentrated in the abzen colors so white black and green and it's mostly just like tacked on gain two or three life. Um, there are three creatures with lifelink total at uncommon or common, which is not a lot. And then there's two auras that grant lifelink. So I would say that uh, that life gain is going to feel kind of special because it doesn't look like it's coming up all that often. So you're all about that one green, green devotion to two that gains life equal to uh, your devotion to green then, huh? I would say I'm not all about that card. I am all about a card. I think we're probably going to be talking about this a little later because I think I'm higher on all of the devotion uncommons than you are. So I'll save our Daxos blessed by the sun discussion till later. All right. Next up, we've got mana fixing. There is not a ton of mana fixing going on here that's quality. So colorless options, we've got Traveler's Amulet, one mana for an artifact that you can pay one, sack it, search up a basic land and put it into your hand. There's unknown shores, public service announcement. Please don't put this card in your deck if you're trying to splash. This taps for a colorless or you can pay one tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool. Adding one to the cost of the cards you're trying to splash and the cards that you're trying to cast in your deck if you need this for a colored source is just too high a price to pay. Just put a basic of your splash color in your deck. When your splash card is like Ancestral Recall or Swords to Plowshares, like this is fine, but that's not what you're doing in Limited. You're usually splashing some like good bomb or whatever that costs like five or six mana and making that cost six or seven mana is a huge, huge downside. But even in the cheap scenario though, with something like Ancestral Recall, you still don't want to add one onto the cost of every other spell in your deck if you have to use this as one of your main colored sources. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. But you were, I think the example is always like m- most of the time you're just better off putting the basic land of your splash color instead of this. Uh, Altar of the Pantheon is here. This is our last colorless source of fixing. This is a three mana artifact. Your devotion to each color and each combination of colors is increased by one. And you can tap to add a mana of any color. And if you control a god, demigod, or a legendary enchantment, you gain one life. So this is just sort of like manolith. Yeah. And then two cards in green. Elysian Caryatid is a one on a green, one, one at common. It taps to add a mana of any color. And if you control a creature with power four or greater, it taps to add two mana of any one color instead. And last one is Omen of the Hunt. This is the green omen. This is two and a G for an enchantment with flash. When it ETBs, you may search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. And like all the other omens, you can pay two G, sack it, scry two. Yeah, I, I would say... I think Elysian Carry Added is very good. I think Omen of the Hunt is more for when you are actively splashing. I wouldn't just jam that in any two-color deck. Um, So yeah, it looks like if you want to splash, you probably need to be base green. 
I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, an altar, the Pantheon, and a Traveler's Amulet, and you're all good to go. It's fine. I love, those are fine, but those are pretty unexciting cards. I think I think green does it best. Absolutely. Mana sinks. Uh, if we take a look at that, only a few good mana sinks and not that many mana sinks that generate a repeatable advantage. So escape, assuming that you have the cards in graveyard, is a huge mana sink. The sacrifice outlets in black and red are very mana intensive. The omens are sort of mana sinks, you know, places to put mana to scry, maybe in the later game when you're running out of gas. There's Destiny Spinner. This is kind of a cool card. This is 1G for a 2-3 enchantment creature. Creature and enchantment spells you control can't be countered, and the more relevant text for limited, although there are a lot of counter spells running around. Uh, 3G, target land you control becomes XX elemental creature token with trample and haste until end of turn, where X is the number of enchantments you control. It's still a land. Yeah, very, very good mana sink there. There's a Rummager in uh, red, Oread of Mountain's Blaze, which is one in red for a 1-3, and you can pay two in a red to discard a card and draw a card. But there's just, there's really not a lot of repeatable mana sinks that common or uncommon. And then in the last category here to take a look at is Flying and Flying Hate. 13 creatures with flying, five white, four blue, two black, one blue red, and one artifact. Two cards that can gain or grant flying and equipment. Cobbled Wings is back. No, it's not Cobbled Wings. It's better than Cobbled Wings. Strictly better. It costs a mana more, but other than that, strictly better. I don't remember what it's called. It just was the flu too close to the sun pun. Yeah, it's, right? Icar- it's Icarus. Yeah. Um, so it's Cobbled Wings, but you also have the ability to sacrifice the equipment to make your creature totally unblockable for a turn. And then as far as flying hate, there's quite a bit. So there is just plummet straight up one in a green instant destroy target creature with flying um, and then three creatures with reach uh, chain web arachnir, which is a single green for a one, two with reach DTBs and deals damage equal to its power to target creature with flying and opponent controls. And it has escape three green, green exile four cards and it escapes with three plus one plus one counters on it. So you're paying five for a four five. There's also Nexus Wardens, 2G for a 1-4 reach, and Constellation, whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you gain two life. That card is going to be the Lord Tupperware special. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you understand that too. I like This card just has everything I ever want to do in Magic written all over it. The three mana 1-4. And then Flummoxed Cyclops, the hashtag this red card has reach. Uh, three and a red for a 4-4 four, four with reach. Whenever two or more creatures your opponents control attack, it can't block this combat. That's not even blocking that often though, right? That's not really, that card's bad. No, that card's fine. That, that, you think that card's way worse than it is. <laughs> wow, we're already we're already getting into the arguments and we're not even to that segment yet. We're very close. We're, we're very close to being able to argue. Uh, and then lastly, there's Gift of Strength, which is a combat trick that grants reach. One in a green for an instant target creature gets plus three, plus three and gains reach until end of turn. So that's that's quite a bit of flying hate relative to the number of flyers we're seeing. Only 13 creatures with flying and, and they're not even all that good, um, I think is pretty low relative to what we're seeing here in terms of ways to deal with it. Yeah, all makes sense. So on to the point segment of the <laughs> podcast. So Ethan and I have graded cards here. And we've highlighted any cards that we have a gradation of two or more differences. And we're going to go through and give pitches for why we think we are right and try to come to some sort of consensus. Okay, so we, we're always messy when we do this, but I, I got to propose the person with the higher grade has to talk first. Person with the higher grade has to talk first. All right, I got to give me two seconds. I got to take off my sweatshirt here. Wow, you're already folding under the pressure of going back and forth all right the first card on our list we're going to talk about here is captivating unicorn this is four and a white for a four four with constellation when an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control tap target creature and opponent controls 
Yeah, I gave us a C. You gave us a D plus. I think this card is pretty good. This is like a gigantic territorial hammer skull, right? So normally with these cards, they enter the battlefield and make creatures unable to block. But this, you're actually going to be able to swing with the 4-4 as well on the turn that you make something unable to block. There's there's enchantments that come in flash. I guess that's not super relevant. I just am saying facts right now to try mm-hmm. to defend my captivating unicorn. I think this card's totally fine. Five mana for a 4-4 and significant upside when you play an enchantment. I like it. Yeah, my, my problem is that like as the top end for an aggro deck in white, this feels not great because then it doesn't do anything until the, it needs help to do something other than be a five mana four four. I think at five mana, you will have better options. I'm not mad about playing this card, but it feels like the definition of a replacement level to me. So that's why I put it in the D plus range. I'll go C minus. Next up, we've got Pious Wayfarer. This is single white for the one two with constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this uh, last week a little bit. I gave this a synergy C. You gave this a synergy D plus. I think that in the first couple weeks of the format, I'm I'm wondering if this is sort of like maybe the Slitherblade or whatever of the format where you can get them on the wheel and maybe build your deck with some cheap enchantment combat tricks to support them and and really have a, a super low to the ground deck and it's also important to note that this triggers when you play enchantment creatures as well and there's quite a few of those floating around as we saw when we looked at the stats so i, I don't know i think i think this this really could get there yeah but it's still not a card it's not a card that is going to be the meat and potatoes of any limited deck right this is going to be a, a niche thing that it's doing on its own I, I, that's what I'm wondering. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of the times when you can get like four of them and then you really do try and warp your deck around maximizing them. So maybe maybe it's not even a synergy C, but it's like a build around C if you can get those multiple copies. Like I think it's the type of thing where, you know, you see one in your opening pack and then you pick one up like pick six and that one in your opener wheels. And then I think you just like try and do it. You're off to the races. I think so. I, I don't know. Maybe that deck is going to be terrible, but I'm I'm optimistic. No, I think that's certainly a deck to keep an eye out for. I think we're saying the same thing with different grades. Okay, that's fair. Next up, we've got Alcid of Life's Bounty. This is white for a 1-1 lifelink enchantment creature, and you can pay one, sacrifice this target creature, or enchantment you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Uh, so I got to talk about this. I gave this a C plus. You gave this a D plus. So this does have, it's an X1 knock against it for sure. But it's very cheap for an enchantment creature. It's got lifelink, which I think is relevant. It wears auras very well because it has lifelink and is cheap. It's going to trigger constellation stuff. Like the fact that this can protect your suited up stuff is good. I think this is going to go really, really well in these white aggressive decks. Yeah, except I think it's too low impact overall, right? You're not really wanting to put the auras on this because then you lose its ability and then also just having it as a 1-1 lifelink with its ability. I don't think either half of those possibilities is very exciting. I do think it being a cheap enchantment creature is relevant, and I would maybe bump up to a C- from that, but I don't think this is a great card. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about neither half being great, but I think even if that's true, the fact that you have that flexibility on one card that is so cheap, that is an enchantment creature, I think is going to add up to something that just does enough little things that it's good. Eh, C minus. I'm not excited about this card. All right. You're going to have to talk me. I don't think you're going to be able to talk me up here on Birth of Miletus. We talked about this card last week. This is one and a white for a saga. 
Uh, first chapter, you search for a basic planes in your library, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Create a 0-4 colorless wall artifact creature token with Defender is the second chapter. And chapter three, you gain two life. Yeah, this card is just nice value, right? Uh, it's It's a bunch of small pieces of value that don't really go with what white's trying to do in the format save for like black white right but there's there's going to be white controlling decks where you're very happy to play this card raw stats this is a b minus type card yeah i don't know i, I i'm not I, i'm not as, as excited about just having a random 04 that draws me a planes and also the fact that it does that in the reverse order so this isn't a two drop until my third turn i think that's also relevant but you sort of gain the two life as a speed bump like that sort of makes up for you know not having the 04 when you would have had the 04 right yeah sure yeah, you're much more excited about this card than I am. So I think you're going to have more experience with it early. And I look forward to hearing your reports on it. Well, I don't know that I am because I think it's a niche card in the format. I don't think there's going to be a lot of white decks that want it. But when you have a white deck that does want it, it's going to be a quality card in your deck. But then don't you have to give it a synergy grade? Maybe. Okay. I, I don't think you're picking this like a B minus. I don't think this is a pull into white for you. All right. That makes sense. You're right. Okay. Talked him off the ledge there. I think power level it is, though. But maybe in the context of the format, it doesn't fit. Yeah. I think you're just like thinking about it like it's cube worthy or something because it's like Wall of Omens. Well, Wall of Omens is a great card. Yeah, it is. But this is not Wall of Omens. It is. Sort of. <laughs> Moving on. Next up, we've got Daxos Blessed by the Sun. You give us a B, I give us a C. Plus. This is white, white for a two star toughness equal to your devotion to white legendary enchantment creature. Whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies, you gain one life. So this the second line of text, whenever another creature you control ETBs or dies, you gain a life is just makes it nearly impossible. It feels like for anyone to race you. And the fact that this this feels like it slots into either style of deck, like if you're an aggro deck, this is going to be like a two mana. I don't know. Two, two, three, two, four as the game progresses. And in controlling decks, this could be absurd. Like it's going to gain you a bunch of life. This could be like a two, five for two mana. I, I'm very excited about this. And then also, again, like I don't want to say this with every card we talk about, but it being an enchantment creature, I think is relevant as well. Yeah, my concern is that it's not going to come down on turn two that often, right? Monocolored decks are going to be few and far between compared to Eldraine. And we saw in Eldraine how hard you had to warp your mana base for the double pipped cards. So I think you're going to be wanting to play two colors most of the time in your format. And to be excited about Daxos, I'm going to want 10 plus white sources in my deck. And I think that's a pretty high cost to pay for ultimately what's just an efficiently rated creature. Uh, that, that's fair. I mean, I'm thinking like, yeah, if, you, if you're 10 planes or more, this is going to be fine and not that difficult to come down on turn two or three. So like, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't see Daxos and say, I want to draft a heavy white deck. I want to be in a heavy white deck and then pick up my Daxos. Oh, yeah. I think that's where we're different because I do see Daxos and go, oh, cool. We've got a reason to be heavy white. Heliod's Punishment. Here we go, Ben. I think this is our biggest disagreement. This is one on a white for an aura enchant creature. Heliod's Punishment enters the battlefield with four task counters on it. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. It loses all abilities and has tap, remove a task counter from Heliod's Punishment. Then if it has no task counters on it, destroy Heliod's Punishment. So I gave this a B minus. You gave this a D plus. So here's where I'm at with Heliod's Punishment, Ben. Lay it on me. 
And I made the same comparison when I was talking to Alex about this card. This reminds me of Parallax Wave, and that's probably because Cube is hanging around here. So Parallax Wave is an enchantment, two white-white, comes into play with five fade encounters on it. You remove a fade encounter on your upkeep, but you can also remove a fade encounter whenever you want to exile a creature. And then when there are no fade encounters left in your upkeep, you sacrifice Parallax Wave, and all the creatures you exiled with it return to play. Now, Parallax Wave, if you've never played with it, looks like an atrocious card. But how it actually plays out is that it like comes into play, exiles two of their things, and then you just win before Parallax Wave leaves the battlefield. And I have a similar feeling about Heliod's Punishment. Like, yes, I don't like that this is a temporary removal spell, but it takes care of the creature for what, like three, four turns? Because they can, if, if you play it on something that doesn't have summoning sickness, they can remove a counter the turn you cast it. So it, I think it's like three to four turns you deal with the creature. But it's so cheap that I think that's going to be effective in most white decks at just like dealing with the creature for enough time uh, for you to get them dead. Well, that's that's the rub, right? Because it's it's going to lock a creature down for three turns because you're going to play it. They're going to tap, remove a counter, and they have three more turns to remove counters. So it's for, for, well, if, if you care about the attack step that you have the turn you play this, then it's four turns. Sure. This this card most let let's let's just slow down here on the old cube comparisons. This does it to one creature. This card, Dude, I, I think, I'm not comparing it to Parallax Wave in terms of power level, but I think I'm comparing it in terms of it looks bad, and I think it's going to play out better than that. I think the most comparable card to this is something like Singing Bell Strike from Cons of Tarkir. Great, another great comparison, I think. Which was a fine card in an aggro deck. You would play that in an aggro deck, but it still was not quality removal. Sure. So I think the difference between this and Singing Bell Strike is when your opponent has six mana, you can still play this and it's going to lock the thing down for three turns. Yeah. Like it's not a terrible top deck the way Singing Bell Strike was. I agree. I, I don't love this card. I could I could go C minus. This does not pull me into white. I think you have to be very aggressive and white and then you'll pick this card up. I don't think you're picking this up as a reason to draft a white aggressive deck. Yeah, maybe it's a C plus. So, and not a B minus, and maybe it's not a pull into white. My feeling about this card is, at least in the first few weeks, is that this is going to be drastically underrated because it has a lot of text and looks bad. And I think it's going to play out very, very much like just a removal spell because it's just going to, like, if most decks, most white decks want to be aggressive, and I think Heliod's Punishment is going to lock the thing down and affect the board enough for you to take the advantage that like you're either going to kill them before the thing pops off or it's going to pop off and it's not going to matter anymore. Yeah, I I hope that's the case. I have a feeling you're going to play this card once and you're <laughs> never going to cast it again the rest of the format. That's very very possible. Yeah, very possible. But that that's not my that's not my feeling right now. All right, next up we've got Laguna Band Storyteller. This is 3 and a white for a 3/4 when ETBs you may put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library. If you do, you gain life equal to its converted mana cost. I'm way too high on this card. I thought it came back to your hand. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I gave us a B minus. You gave it a C. I'm now joining you. Maybe even lower than C. C minus. Like, it's it's so weird because there's this and then there's another common in white that's a four mana three four. Like, there's like move over pillar field ox and, and four mana three fours with upside. Like, I think the other one is an enchantment creature. And when creatures, other creatures you control attack, they get plus O plus one, which is very, very good. I think this like, Power level creep is hard for me to evaluate. And I think this card definitely goes up. Like if you have Myers Grasp, this card goes way up in value, I think. Just making sure that your next card you draw is a Myers Grasp. It's still not card advantage, though. No, but card selection attack attached to a like four mana three four is good. 
Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, I, th- I think maybe like a synergy thing for this, but it's it's weird that like a four mana three four in white isn't exciting. All right, next up we've got into blue. One common here to talk about: Naiad of Hidden Coves. This is funny that I'm sort of lower on this than you are, but I like this deck way more than you. Yeah. Uh, so your synergy B minus for Naiad. I'm a C plus. This is two and a blue for the two three enchantment creature that makes spells you cast during your opponent's turn cost one less to cast. Yeah. So I gave this this grade after only looking at like a handful of blue commons. And then as I saw like what red had to offer for this deck and then like what the uncommon payoff was, I'm much lower on this deck than you are. I think I still think this is going to be an important card just period like for the deck in particular, but also it just seems like it'll be fine in blue because so much of what blue is doing is operating at instant speed. But I'm not sure I think of it as a synergy B minus anymore. I think I'm, I'm fine to join you at just C plus. Yeah. And I, I, don't spoiler alert don't have this in my top blue commons mostly because i did a few draft sims and i just didn't want to pick it for some reason but maybe (laughs) maybe this will end up being a top blue common what time will tell i think a lot of it's going to depend on how good that deck is and how important the naiad is to that deck but i do have high hopes for the drago deck yeah much like throne of eldraine i found blues commons quite difficult to evaluate I agree. Looking at the uncommons, we've got Glimpse of Freedom. This is one in a blue for an instant draw card, and it has Escape, two in a blue, Exile, five other cards from your graveyard. I gave this a D minus. You gave this a C minus. Yeah, this is not a good card. Um, it's an efficient way to not an inefficient way, rather. <laughs> quite, quite inefficient. <laughs> this is an inefficient way to get a two for one, but it is a way to do something with the cards in your graveyard if you don't have a lot of other escape running around. I don't love this card. I think the best thing that this card has to offer is that it fuels other escape cards while not being card disadvantage. But there are blue card draw spells at common that I am much more excited about than this, even the Omen. I I just, this seems like it's so rarely going to make your deck. Escape five is so much. I agree. I'm probably too high. D? All right. Yeah, that's what I think. Next up, we've got Madomai's Prophecy. You give us a C minus. I give us a C plus. This is one and a blue for the Saga. First chapter, Scry 2. Chapter 2, choose a card name. Chapter 3, when you cast a spell with a chosen name for the first time this turn, draw two cards. Chapter 4, look at the top card of each player's library. So this card is sort of reminiscent of Witching Well, right? Like it's going to come down, it's going to Scry, going to smooth your draws. And then two turns later, you're going to get a divination effect for two mana. I mean, this is a cheap way to draw two cards. It's a little awkward in that you have to call your shot a turn ahead of time, which sort of gives your opponent a lot of information about what you're planning with your next turn. But I think that's worth it to ultimately have paid two mana for scry to draw two. Yeah, again, I just compare it to would I rather have Omen of the Sea, which is the one in a blue flash scry two then draw a card and then has the two in a blue sack it to scry two i think i'd rather have omen of the sea and i'd rather have thirst for meaning as well the two in a blue instant draw three then discard two or discard an enchantment i think thirst for meaning is better for this i do not think the omen is better than this i I just don't like this locks you in it's so and that it's so do nothing like I just like scry two, then do nothing. Then you're locked in. You can't do stuff on your opponent's turn that turn. I but this know. is but this is an enchantment. It's going to trigger constellation. It's going to go in yeah. your graveyard to fuel escape. Like there's other things that it does well. That's fair. I, so maybe it's better than the omen, which I also gave a C minus, but I'm, I'm still sticking with C minus, I think. Okay. Sweet Oblivion is the last card that we're going to look at here in blue. And I 
just cannot figure this card out, Ben. This is one and a blue for a sorcery. Target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, and it has escape three and a blue, exile four cards. I love this card after I realized that you could escape multiple times with the same card. This is going to be able to mill your opponent out on its own in some games. Milling your opponent is so dangerous with escape, Ben. I know, but once they're doing the escape stuff, like there's going to be decks that are self-milling. Like, can you imagine siding so this in against a green-black deck? Yeah, right. So then it's a sideboard card. I, I, I don't I don't know how you're spending a card to do this and how you're also casting this while self-milling yourself. What what are the cards that that go with this this card and go in this deck? There's an uncommon that is an O2, right? That mills two every time you play an enchantment, I think. Yeah. And then there's the common two drop that when it does damage, you can make target player mill cards. I think there's like a very, very, very not good niche mill deck. <laughs> Okay. And and I think this card is a very powerful sideboard card. I'm excited about this card. Uh, this is this card and the O2 look atrocious to me, and I'm very curious to see if they can come together for a deck. Yeah, I mean, this is not a good card, right? But I mm-hmm. do think I do think there's hints of a whisper of a deck or whatever you said the other the other day. Yeah, that's your favorite phrase now. That's good. All right, we'll see how that that plays out. If you are able to build a sweet Oblivion deck that does something, please let us know. I'm I'm curious to see what that card does. Moving on to black. What's our first card here? Fruit of Tazeris. This is black sorcery target player loses two life, escape three and a black, exile three other cards from your graveyard. So I gave this just a straight up F. Alex was trying to talk me up on this. He gave it a synergy C+. He's very excited about this card, and you gave it a D. Yeah, this is like a clunky lava axe that you have to do a little work for, right? But there's going to be decks that want a lava axe effect. Yeah, I do think there's a very real black aggro deck in the format. Like, you know, there's they've, it's just got like good stats along the curve, especially there's this three mana three three with escape that escapes as a five five. So I could see fruit of whatever Tizaris Tizaris having a home. Like, do you just want the one? Like, are you loading up on these? That's that's the thing. Like, you don't want multiple copies, right? Because as soon as you draw the second copy, it's just terrible. So it's a little got a little bit of tension with itself in that respect. I think I'm only ever putting one of these in an aggressive deck, and I think then it's going to be a fine card. Not great. That's fair. All right. I could see that. Looking at Mogus's favor next. This is single black for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus two, minus one, and it has escape, two and a black, exile, two other cards. I gave this a C. You gave this a D. I really like the flexibility of this card that it like, I mean, like we said, there's not a lot of X1s, but that it can kill an X1 early or like, you know, help you kill something a little larger. And then later on in the game, you just like make one of your evasive threats have like a pretty big power boost. I think that's that's some nice flexibility there. Yeah, I didn't think about the possibility of killing an X1. Uh, that would maybe make me go up to a D plus. I'm this this on any ground creature is just embarrassing, right? Because it's going to make your opponent have an easier time trading with it. So you really need an evasive creature to be suiting this up on. Even then, I think it's a pretty low powered aura. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm thinking about this like a removal spell first and a pump spell second. Yeah, I, I I'll go D plus. I don't think this card is going to be anything special in the format. Okay. Next up is Agonizing Remorse. You give us a C, I give us a D plus. This is one in a black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it or a card from their graveyard. Exile that card. You lose one life. So I'm generally not super excited about these effects, and we usually see them as three mana, not two. Um, Alex, I think, made a good point here that like unlike uh, most discard effects like this isn't dead late because you can nab 
an escape card from their graveyard, much like other discard effects are. And like, just remember, he was like, remember Thought Erasure? And yes, that had Surveil, but like Thought Erasure on turn two was very good and limited. And I think this is going to be similarly good. Yeah, I'll go up C minus. Next up, we've got Hateful Eidolon. This is single black for a 1-2 enchantment creature with lifelink. Whenever an enchanted creature dies, draw a card for each aura you control that was attached to it. I gave this a B. You gave this a Synergy C+. Ben, I have two words for you. Myers Grasp. So it lets your Myers Grasps cantrip. That's insane. That is insane. I agree. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're not putting a, a mediocre card in your deck to turn your Myers Grasp into a better card, though. I don't think this is a mediocre card. I mean, similarly to the one-one white lifelinker, I'm—I think I'm more excited about these lifelinking creatures than you are because I think there are going to be some, you know, combat tricks and auras floating around to suit them up, and I think that's very good. I think uh, one drops that are playable are very good, especially because I think there is a black aggro deck. Not only is this good with Myers Grasp, but also helps protect you from suiting stuff up. So, like, you know, you put an enchantment on this, and then it dies then you're going to draw a card and you're mitigating that loss. I think this is a really good card. I agree. This does want to wear aura as well, but I don't see this card and think, yeah, I want to draft black. I think it's a good card for all the reasons you outlined. I just think you're way higher on it than I am for the reasons you've outlined. All right. Timoret, chosen from death. Do you give us a B? I give us a C plus. I think you're just cranky. With this set. That's what I think. You're just giving it like, you're like, this, this card isn't good. I don't want to draft this card or this color. <laughs> This is black, black for a two star. Its toughness is equal to your devotion to black and you can pay one in a black exile up to two cards from graveyards. You gain one life for each creature card exiled this way. So for my similar reasons of being excited about the white one, I'm excited about this. I think it's not going to be difficult for this to be like a very efficiently costed like two, three, two, four, whatever. The ability on here is huge with escape as a main mechanic of the format. Yeah, but I mean, everyone's still getting the front half of their escape cards. There's not a lot of escape cards that are terrible on the front half and then busted on the back half, right? So they're still getting a good card. I, I just think the same 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 arguments apply here. I, I want to be in black before I'm picking this card up, heavy black before I'm excited. All right, moving on to red. The first card up here is Arena Trickster. Three and a red for a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, put a plus and plus one counter on Arena Trickster. You gave this a C, I gave it a D. Yeah, this is going to be a scary card on the battlefield in the blue-red deck. I mean, it's filler. You're not going to go out of your way to pick this up, but you will definitely play it in the blue-red deck, and it will be a good card there. I mean, if this is on the battlefield and you are you have all your mana up and it's your opponent's turn, they have to assume this is a 4-4. Four, four. And then you're going to probably be able to turn it into a 4-4 if they don't attack into it. And then the problem just keeps growing out of control. This sort of reminds me of Spellgorger Weird from War of the Spark. Yeah, except it's a mana more expensive and you have to do the things on your opponent's turn. I mean, you, you said it in your first sentence. This is filler. That's why I gave it a D. I don't think filler cards are Cs. But I don't think it's filler for the blue-red deck. I think it's filler in any other deck, and I think it's a C quality in the blue-red deck. So then don't you have to give it a synergy grade? Sure, synergy C. All right. And now we've swapped grades here for Flummoxed Cyclops. This is the 4-mana 4-4 reach we talked about before. I mean, this is keyword big, and, and you do make a point of like, this is never blocking, but I don't know if that's true. Like, you know, it, let's say they have a flyer. But then they've got something else like you you have to have like no other board for them to have good attacks otherwise for this text to be like really crippling for you. And then the turn after that, you're just like smashing face with a 4-4. Yeah, this card, I don't want to put this card in my deck and maybe I will be proven wrong, but having a four drop that 
has the potential of not being able to block and then only being a vanilla four four on attacks is not exciting to me at all. Yeah, I, like I think I think the situation where it's going to be able to block is few and far between, and you would be thrilled to death that it was actually doing something relevant. Like for for it to be able to block, your opponent has to have exactly one flyer that is killing you. That's the only time this is ever blocking when you want to block. Sure, right? They got two flyers, but as we saw, there aren't a lot of flyers. Yeah, I I'm I'm off this card. Okay, Nixborn Brute is up next. This is three red red for a seven three enchantment creature Cyclops. You give us a C minus. I give us a D minus. Yeah, I mean, maybe I need to give this like a synergy C minus, but like that's a lot of power and green has a lot of ways to grant trample. So that's why I'm mostly excited about this. Like there's no fling in the format, but like this is huge. I agree. I, I'm too low on this card. I'm grouchy. Okay. You're right. All right. C minus. <laughs> I'm joining you. It's in a bad mood when he did a set review. Oriad of Mountains Blaze. This is the one in a red, one three enchantment creature. It has two in a red, discard a card, draw a card. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C. Yeah, this is a fine little mana sink. I mean, it's a two drop that's going to block well. It's a two drop enchantment creature. The ability to rummage late in the game is powerful. This is just a quality card, right? Yeah, I think it's a quality card that I don't know where it goes. Like, what deck wants this? I mean, you're playing this as a one of in every red deck. I think I'm hoping not to in my red aggressive decks, for sure. Like, much like I wasn't trying to play Merchant of the Veil in all my aggressive red decks. Yeah, you gave Merchant of the Veil like a C plus, though, right? I loved Merchant of the Veil. I mean, it, it having Haggle also matters. But like, I, like, yes, I agree this is a good card. In a vacuum, I just don't know what deck wants it. Like yeah, that's, fa- that's fair enough. So that that's my that's why I, I'm I'm cautious to to give it a C range grade. Yeah, I hear that. Next up is Impending Doom. This is two and a red for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three plus three and attacks each combat if able. When enchanted creature dies, Impending Doom deals three damage to that creature's controller. It's Oaken form, baby. I give it a C. You gave it a D. <laughs> <laughs> it's Oaken form, baby. That's my <laughs> argument. Yeah, I think. I mean, this is a format that cares more about suiting targeting stuff especially we're in a color that cares about targeting stuff you know putting us on any evasive threat not that red has a ton of evasive threats itself um i think in aggressive decks this is going to be good but this could also just be atrocious but i'm gonna i'm gonna optimistically give it a c yeah i mean i i'm gonna play this card you're gonna play this card we're gonna lose this card and be grumpy mm-hmm. uh i'll go up to d plus i mean it, it's not a good card intrinsically it will be a playable card in an aggressive deck in terms of the boosts we've seen at common and uncommon from an aura this is the most right there's nothing bigger than this it's the big it's the biggest boy that's what makes me think that it it might be good but i don't know yeah i hear that that's that's reasonable next up in green we're gonna look at relentless pursuit which is two and a green for a sorcery reveal the top four cards of your library you may put a creature card and or a land card from among them into your hand put the rest into your graveyard so potentially fueling three or four cards for escape i gave this a d you gave it a c yeah this card seems very powerful to me so the times that you hit a creature and a land and put two cards in your graveyard you're gonna feel like a million dollars, right? That's like a C. Yeah. Pl- that's like a C plus B minus card. Well, B, just relax. If that card read, draw a creature, draw a land, put two cards in your graveyard, that would be a B minus. I think I'm I'm way too low on this, given how I think this looks like one of the best ways to fuel escape to me. 
I think I'm in for like synergy C plus or something. Right. And you're almost always going to hit one or the other and then put three cards in your graveyard. And if you care about the three cards in your graveyard, I think you're just signing up for this card 10 out of 10 times in your deck. I think green decks that care about escaping are going to want multiple copies of this. Well, and don't leave off the fact that this itself goes to the graveyard. So it's it's adding four cards in that scenario. Ooh, baby. Yeah. This card's good. Yep. Next up, we've got Voracious Typhon. I gave us a B minus. You gave us a C. Speaking of grumpy, this is two green green for a four four snake beast and has escape five GG exile four other cards from your graveyard. Voracious Typhon escapes with three plus one plus one counters on it. Yeah, I'll go up to C plus. I don't think this is pulling me into green because I think I come into sets. I'm not trying to make the same Dominaria mistake where I was like, Baloth Gorger is nuts. And then it was just fine. And I think this will be just fine here. But I think it's it, it's it's good. I think I'm, I'll go up to C+. I think the difference between this and Bayloth Gorger is that you're thrilled to play this as a 4-mana four 4-4, four, four, right? You were a little disappointed with Bayloth Gorger as a 4-mana four 4-4, four, four, and you wanted to... You get the thing. And you're going to get... Assuming this is your only escape card or whatever, can you imagine your opponent having to deal with a 7-7 seven, seven multiple times? Yeah. I think yeah, this is right. I think this is significantly better threat than Bayloth Gorger. Now, it it does suffer from the green 4/4 four, four, like gonna get chump blocked or double blocked by whatever, but then I think the fact that it's threatening to continue to be a 7/7 seven, seven is very real and there's going to be self-mill stuff going on in green black where if you mill this and you just get a free 7/7 seven, seven later in the game, that's also going to be very strong. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this card is definitely better than a C. Warbriar Blessing is up next. This is the green removal spell. One and a green for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus O plus two. And when the aura ETBs, enchanted creature fights up to one target creature you don't control. Yeah, I love this card. So I gave us a B minus. You gave us a C. I think this is going to trigger Constellation. There's a lot of stuff going on with enchantments in green. I think the fact that this is a fight spell that's going to leave behind an aura on a creature is really good. You get a permanent two toughness boost if you win the fight. I'm very excited about this as a fight spell. Well, you're you're probably going to win the fight. I mean, the toughness boost is huge. The fact that it doesn't boost power is kind of a problem. But like, I do remember like, what was it? Epic Downfall was the one in a green sorcery plus one plus two fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was very good. And like, you know, partially because of the plus one boost, but the two toughness was real. I don't know. Maybe I'm too low on this card. I'm... I'm just a little, I don't know. This card just seems not not great to me. I'll go. I'll go up to C plus. Yeah, I like. I've got very high hopes for this card, and maybe it'll turn out that not getting a power boost is too big of a knock against it. But generally, the problem with with fight spells is that your creature is going to die, and I, I'm hoping that the plus two toughness is going to make it to where you can just cast this most of the time and kill the thing you want to kill. Yeah, that's fair. But the other thing, you know, just as a nod to the blue-red deck, you know, that you seem pretty down on and I have high hopes for, I think part of the reason the blue-red deck's going to play so well is it's just going to make cards like Warbriar's Blessing so embarrassing, right? Like, you can just never cast a Warbriar's Blessing against that deck. Well, no, at a certain point, if your opponent's just going, like, draw-go, you just have to play into stuff, don't you? Right, but then that's really powerful for the blue-red deck. Sure, if the blue-red deck had any powerful spells to play. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Moving on to our next card, <laughs> Chainweb Arachnir. I gave us a C plus. You gave us a B. Talk to me about this card. Yeah, so this is the, we talked about this, the one mana, one, two reach that escapes as a four five. I mean, mostly just on stats there. The fact that you can like finish off or, you know, nab an X1 flyer out of the skies, I think is is just gravy. Like you just don't mind using this as a one mana, one, two to double block something. Because then you're just going to get it as a five mana four five at some point, which is absurd. Yeah, my problem with this card is you're not excited about the first half of the card, right? 
Like you're, ex- you're sometimes you are, but yeah, I, I agree. R- rarely, rarely. So then, if you're looking at this as a five mana four five, where you have to exile four other cards from your graveyard, that's a lot more restrictive of a mana cost. I don't know. I, I'm not in love with pricing myself into putting a card in my deck that I have to escape for when there's other things that I just get straight up value from escaping. I don't know. I just I I don't think you're gonna because you get to escape. That makes the front half not embarrassing to me because like double blocking and trading off with something is is gonna be very doable or again you can suit this up and then if they kill it it doesn't matter because you're gonna escape it later yeah i mean if you if you ever hit on the escape killing a flyer this card's gonna be very good yeah i i don't know i just think it's a very i think it's got high setup cost to cast the half of the card that you care about i'll go down to b minus and and i i could be wrong it could be could be much worse next up is destiny spinner one and a green for a two three enchantment creature creatures you control and enchantment spells you control can't be countered. Three and a green target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature with trample and haste until end of turn where X is the number of enchantments you control. It's still a land. I think we both thought this card was good. Who was higher on it? Me. I give it a B. Good good on turn two. Good on turn 10, Ben. Yeah. I'll go B minus with you. That's a good card. Yeah, this card. I think this card's very good. I mean, obviously, you like need to build towards it a little bit. Like you would like a constellation deck with this. So your lands are huge. But I don't think that's a big ask in green. I agree. Last card here. We, a lot of people talking about this card from the Loading Ready Run pre pre release looking insane. So maybe I am very, very uh, unaware of how powerful this card is. This is Hydra's Growth, two and a green for an aura. Enchanted creature, when in Hydra's Growth enters the battlefield, you put a plus one plus one counter on Enchanted Creature. And at the beginning of your upkeep, double the number of plus one plus one counters on Enchanted Creature. I gave this a D plus, you gave this a B. Yeah, I love this card. And I mean, love in the sense that, I mean, you're going to get two for one sometimes and it's going to feel bad. But this is going to win so many games, right? So those those Hydras that have this effect are all rares and they're all rares for a reason. And you're going to have to spend two cards to turn it into your rare card. But having the ability to combine two cards, like one of which is some derpy two drop plus Hydra's growth into a rare power level card, I think is a risk that's worth taking. And I think if it goes unchecked, you're going to win the game. This says your opponent must have interaction right now. I feel like you're being a little hypocritical, like being so high on this card and being so down on the two in a red plus three plus three card. Like this takes three turns to get to plus four plus four. And that's clocking plus three plus three immediately for the same cost this just seems too slow to me and the like the caveat of if goes unchecked you win the game sure but like saying that about an aura come on ben (laughs) i mean but that's part of the name of the game in this set right and i think this one does it the best but so then don't you then you have to be higher on like the plus three plus three one you can't be like well you get blown out here but you're not going to get blown out with hydra's growth Sure, I'm probably a little low on Oaken Form, but I think Hydra's Growth is a more powerful card than that. I think it just depends. Yeah, I I think that's true, but I just feel like this is too slow that you're going to like, yeah, if this goes unchecked, you win the game, sure, but it's not going to be for a few turns. Right, but I think what this does is it's going to ever prevent your opponent from double blocking. So the the plus three plus three aura, so you play a two drop, you slap that on there and you've got a five five, right? Mm-hmm. eventually like three turns down the road your opponent's going to be able to double block that what are they at five then i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> asking the hard questions here <laughs> yeah i'll be curious to see how this plays out but this looks too slow to me 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I like Hydra's growth. And it also, I mean, I guess green white cares about auras, but most of the other green decks seem like green red, I guess, cares about beef. Green blue cares about constellation. That seems like a grindier deck. Green black definitely seems like a grindy deck. I don't know. I'm wondering like where this has a home, but maybe it's just good period no matter what. I think it's a very powerful high risk, high reward card. Yeah. So looking at the multicolored uncommons, we actually didn't have any huge disagreements. Um, so we won't be talking about those. And looking at the colorless cards, we've got one here to take a look at, which is Entrancing Liar. This is three mana for an artifact. You may choose not to untap Entrancing Liar during your untap step. And it has X tap, tap target creature with power X or less. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as Entrancing Liar remains tapped. Yeah, so I get this a C plus. You gave this a B. I assume a B based on it being colorless. Well, and I think it's just rawly powerful, right? This is always going to be a removal spell for the best thing on the battlefield. Yeah, and you're almost usually going to, you know, you're going to get a mana. Yes, you're paying three mana to set this up, but then almost certainly the like cost to tap something will be like equal to or less than the CMC of the card. Right. And it's mana intensive, but the fact that you get the option to keep it tapped and then your opponent Mm -hmm. plays some bomb later, I just think this is a very powerful, flexible card. Yeah. You do want multiples of them, do you think? I think I would play the first two pretty happily. I mean, I'd have to start thinking about it on the third, but like you you make the investment once and then the thing's locked down for the rest of the game. Yeah, I'll go up to B minus. I, I think the card's quite good. And now we're at my, my favorite part, Ben. The top three. Have you sneaked a peek? I did these late last night. I, I did sneak a peek, yeah. All right, so if we kick things off with white, my number three white common is Hero of the Pride. This is one and a white for the 2-2. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Hero of the Pride, creatures you control get plus one, plus O oh, until end of turn. Spoiler alert, that's my number one. Whoa, hot yeah. takes. Hot takes. I think that, that card just says like rock solid what white's trying to do all over it. Um, I think we have the same three just in a different order. So I have Dreadful Apathy as my number three. This is uh, two and a white for the aura. Enchanted creature can't attack or block and you pay two and a white to exile Enchanted Creature. Yeah, that is my number one, strictly for the reason that I think there's going to be people slamming auras left and right, and I do not want to lose to them. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely fair. And that we must both have at number two, Daybreak Chimera. That's the three white white, three three flyer that costs uh, one less to cast for each of your devotion to white. Yeah, I'm blown away by this card being at common. So the best case scenario, right, is that you go one drop, two drop, Daybreak Chimera on three, right? Sure. But like, it's also very, very reasonable if you're in a base white deck that like this is going to be four CMC that you get a cost reduction of one by turn four, right? So like oftentimes this is just going to be phantom monster and it doesn't have the problem of like, well, you can't draft multiple five drops because like I think multiples of these are just great. I agree. Yeah, that's a very strong card. Moving on to the uncommons in my number two slot, I've got favored of Aroas. I like this card. Yeah, this is two and a white for a two two human soldier constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, favored of Aroas gains double strike until end of turn. I have Daxos blessed by the sun as my second white uncommon. Uh, that's the one we we disagreed on in the the discussions. And then I assume we both have Banishing Light at number one. Yep, absolutely. All right, moving on to blue. Boy, did I have a hard time. <laughs> ranking these blue commons. So I, I put Nyad of the Hidden Coves at three. This is the two and a blue two, three that makes spells cost one less when it's your opponent's turn. Yeah, I could see that getting in there for me, but it is not in the list right now. My number three is Witness of Tomorrows. This is four and a blue for the three, four flyer enchantment creature and has the activated ability three and a blue scry one. 
Yeah, I have Witness of Tomorrow's as number one. Like, I, I do recognize that it's worse than Cloud Reader Sphinx, but still, we've been pretty impressed by the five mana, three, four flyers in blue. And I have Stern Dismissal at number two. This is the sort of like unsummon of the set, but it only allows you to target your opponent's stuff. So single blue instant, return target creature or enchantment and opponent controls to its owner's hand. Yeah, Stern Dismissal is my number one. Again, I wow. do not want I do not want to lose to people mising with Auras. <laughs> yeah, that seems, seems, seems to be the name of the game there. And my number two common is Thirst for Meaning. That's the two and a blue instant speed. Draw three, discard two, unless you discard an enchantment. That's so funny. What? <laughs> because we talked about it last week, and I was like, is this the best blue common? And then you were like, I'm not that excited about this. And now it's your second, and it didn't make my top three. Yeah. Well, so the reason this stuff changed for me is I did some draft sims, and I would just like was faced with the blue cards I was interested in picking. And maybe I'm going to be way wrong, you know, once we start playing the format or whatever. But for right now, the Stern Dismissal and Thirst for Meaning were the blue cards I was interested in picking, partially because I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about what does the color want to do. And I do think blue wants to play at instant speed. And I think tapping out for a five drop three, four flyer is not great. And that ability is so mana intensive. Like, I don't see myself wanting three Witness of Tomorrow's in my deck. I could mm-hmm. see wanting three thirst for meanings or three stern dismissals or whatever. And I think blue as a color does want to play instant speed. Mm-hmm. No matter whether you're you're going all in on like the the payoffs for doing stuff on your opponent's turn. So I think having the option to hold up a counter spell, which are going to be easier to pick up, and having thirst for meanings alongside them if your opponent doesn't play another counter spell is going to be really good. Yeah, for sure. All right, blue uncommons. My number two is Illyrios Enraptured. This is two and a blue for a 2-3 at ETB's tapped. It's a legendary creature and doesn't untap during your untap step as long as you control a reflection. And when it ETBs, you create a 3-2 blue reflection creature token. Yeah, I really like this card. This is also my number two. And I assume we've got the Lords of Limited preview card Shimmerwing Chimera as your number one. Heck yeah. This is three and a blue for a 3-2 flyer. It's an enchantment creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment you control to its owner's hand. I think that might be the most powerful preview card we've ever gotten. Uh, We'll see. Senate Guild Mage is uh, tough to top, I think. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. All right, moving on to black. I think we're all lined up here. My number three, black common is Soul Reaper of Mogus. Two and a black for a 2-3 enchantment creature. Two and a black, sack a creature, draw a card. That is also my number three. In the number two slot, I've got Final Death. Four and a black, instant exile target creature. Yep, and by a mile, number one, Myers Grasp. One and a black for the aura, enchanted creature gets minus three, minus three. Moving on to uncommons, my number two slot is Elspeth's Nightmare. This is two and a black for the saga. Chapter one, destroy target creature and opponent controls with power two or less. Chapter two, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-creature, non-land card from it. And chapter, and they discard that card, obviously, in case that Mm -hmm. wasn't clear. (laughs) And chapter three, exile target opponent's graveyard. Yeah, I have Timoret chosen from death as my number two. That's the, again, the black, black two star cycle of the devotion uncommons. I think that might be like our single biggest disagreement is that you're so hot on those and I am so not. Yeah, well, but you're not not hot. Like you're, you, you didn't give them like D's or anything like you gave them C pluses. It's just that I I feel like they're pulls into those colors. Yeah. Be interesting to see where those land. Yeah. And number one, drag to the underworld. This is two black, black instant cost X less to cast where X is your devotion to black. Destroy target creature. Yep. Mine as well. Probably just the best uncommon in the set, right? That's really powerful. Looking at red again, had some some 
tough times with these cards. My number three common is Incendiary Oracle, which is one in a red for a 2-2 with Smoke Breathing. One in a red gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. And if a creature dealt damage by Incendiary Oracle, this turn would die. You exile it instead. So does that mean we've gotten the patent approved? Yeah, yeah. I had no, no more patent pending. It's just there. I submitted it already. <laughs> That is my number two. I had a really hard time with number three. I have a bit of a hot take here. I know what your hot take is. So number three is Hero of the Games. is two and a red for a 3-2. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Hero of the Games, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh until end of turn. I don't love this card. I just sort of had to pick something for the number three red common. I'm not very up on any of red's commons. I almost put that as my number three, but I just like, I was like, is there really a, a world where I'm taking that over this good two drop over Fathom Fleet Firebrand? I don't think so. I have your hot take as my number two. This is Omen of the Forge. This is the like one in a red enchantment of that cycle. It has flash, comes into play, deals two to any target, and you can pay two in a red to sack it to scry two. All right, tell the listeners what my hot take is. Omen of the Forge did not make Ben's top three commons. Yeah, so I I left this out because here's the hot take. I think creatures are going to be too big for this to do anything. I think, you know, this is not going to solve the problem of your opponent slapped an aura on a cheap creature. You're going to be staring at your removal and you're going to feel really bad. Two mana for two damage at instant speed is not great, although you do get the ability of the scry later and you get the enchantment value and whatnot. I just don't think this is going to kill the cards you care about killing. Here's my counter argument, is that your number two and number three creatures are both X2s. Yeah. So... I think that I don't think this is exciting and and maybe this should be number three or honorable number four. I don't think you want to stack up on these, but like I do think the first one is going to be important. Yeah, I think right now it should it should probably be my number three. But I want I wanted to make a I wanted to make a statement. I like I like the hot take. I'm into it. All right. And number one for me is Eroas's Blessing. This is three and a red enchantment aura enchant creature you control when it ETBs it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls enchanted creature gets plus one plus one. Yeah, that's my number one as well. I like this card quite a bit. Absolutely. And again, like this is going to feel so terrible to play against blue. Yeah, that's very true. Like there's so many cards because they could do anything, right? They could draw three at instant speed. They could draw one at instant speed and scry two. like. I think that's why blue's going to be good because blue's cards, like if you put them on the vanilla test, they don't they don't hold up, right? Compared to the other colors, mm-hmm. but if you if you think about play patterns, I think any deck that's hoping to play enchantments, and I think a lot of the removal in red and green is enchantment based, and there's a lot of decks that are going to care about putting auras on creatures. I just think it's going to be terrifying to play against a blue deck. But they have to have it. Like the but what are the things that you're worried about? The counter spells. The, the bounce spell the bounce spell you're just not gonna know and they're gonna be they're gonna be blue x like they're never gonna be tapped out are you telling me in a game of magic if your opponent has like three blue two red open that you're ever casting an Aroas's blessing into that i think at a certain point you have to i think you have to make them have it they can't ben you got you are gonna be playing scared a lot in this format i don't think you can do that maybe maybe uh moving on to the uncommons i've got heroes of the revel as my number two i had a hard time picking these um this is four and a red for the four four when it comes into play it makes a one one red satyr creature token with this creature can't block all the satyr tokens have that and whenever you cast a spell that targets this creatures you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn yeah i also had a hard time with the red uncommons i felt like i could have flipped a coin and whatever card it landed on i could have put in the number two Mm -hmm. slot there are a lot of flat power and a lot of good uncommons but very flat and power level i settled on furious rise 
This is two and a red for the build around enchantment at the beginning of your end step. If you control a creature with power four or greater, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until you exile another card with Furious Rise. Yeah, I, li- I like that card. I think that looks worse than it is. It's very good. And there's not a lot of ways to get card advantage in the format. Oh, that's a really good point, too. Um, I kind of copped out here and picked a removal spell, but maybe similarly to why Omen of the Forge may be poorly lined up. So will Fateful End, which is the two and a red instant deal three to anything, scry one. Yeah, I just think that's a pretty expensive rate for something that doesn't line up against a lot of the power and toughness well. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I may need to swap this out for something else. My number one I felt pretty good about. This is Annex Hardened in the Forge. This is one red red for a star three power equal to your devotion to red. And whenever it or another non-token creature you control dies, create a one one red satyr creature token with this creature can't block. If the creature had power four or greater, you make two satyrs instead. Yeah, that card seems awesome. All right, what do we got going on in green? Uh, so in green, my number three, I believe, is your number one from what I've heard. Oh, yeah. I have Elysian Carry Added. This is one in a green for the one one to tap to add one mana of any color. And then if you control a creature, <clears throat> and then if you control a creature power four or greater, you get to add two mana. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this card is ridiculous. It's probably going to be like my most drafted common early on, I would imagine, because I mean, I'm always high on the whatever mana dorks in the set are. Um but this one in particular is going to enable some tuppy shenanigans. Uh, any, any worries about it having one toughness and just always dying? So the thing I think that a lot of one toughness creatures suffer from, and this is not the case for a, a lot of cards, like, you know, there's there's some like there's a black one drop that when it dies gives a creature minus one, minus one. So certainly this is uh, not good against that. But most of the punishment for one toughness creatures is in combat, right? You've got like, well, you attack in and they cast the white omen and then like you know kill your thing with a one one token or whatever um and i think the red cards are going to be sideboard mostly the ones that like deal one damage to stuff so yeah that's it's a cost to it but i think it's going to fade a lot of the uh punishing things most of the time okay um i have warbriar's blessing as my number three i think that's your number one i believe this is the the fight spell enchantment yes absolutely and does that mean we both have voracious typhon at number two it does I feel pretty good about those as the top three. And I could see carry added moving up if it doesn't. I, I put it down low because I was a little worried that it was a little too fragile. Yeah, that, that's fair. And I put honorable mention to return to nature. I think it, it probably is number four. Um, I, I think it's going to be a high pick. Interesting. Do you not? Mm, I think it's fine. I think it's a C. Uh, Mr. I don't want to be blown out by enchantments. Yeah, but I want to I want to savagely two for one my opponents when they play an enchantment. I don't want a one for one with them. I, I see. Moving on to green uncommons. My number two is Nyx Herald. It says two and a green for a two, three enchantment creature at the beginning of combat on your turn. Target enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control gets plus one, plus one and gains trample until end of turn. That's my number two as well. And my number one, I think is the same as yours. This card looks busted. Renata called to the hunt. This is two green, green for the star three. Its power is equal to your devotion to green. But each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Not not just non-token, Ben. Any creature. Yeah, it's going to be real good. And that is my number one as well. Yeah. I think we're more lined up in this set than we've been in a while. I agree. Like we've got like maybe mixed around, like swapping number one and number three. But most of our top threes are the same cards. 
yeah, I am excited to see if they hold up. I think the biggest question mark for me going into the set, it sounds like you really feel like the format is going to be fast. Yeah, I don't know about fast, but it seems like it's aggressive and it's like, you know, I mean, there's like there's combat tricks and there's uh, auras that are combat tricks. And I think a lot of that is going to give the attacker the advantage. And so I think you're going to have to have a really good reason to want to be blocking or controlling because there seems to be a lot of stuff that rewards aggression. Yeah, that's my my question for the format is my I, my inclination is to want to be on team punish people that are playing auras, but maybe those decks are just going to be too good and I'm going to have to join team playing auras. But I, right now I have high hopes that there are the tools in the format to combat what's going on with, you know, suiting up stuff and getting heroic triggers and things like that. And I, I do have high hopes for the blue Drago style deck. Yeah, my biggest like questions or things that I'm looking for are to figure out what blue black looks like because i think blue black is not going to be a control deck at heart i think it's going to be a tempo deck i think that's where it's gonna most land and i'm really interested to see like how to maximize escape and like how often are people escaping and how much do you need to be like dealing with their graveyard etc do you have any sleeper cards cards that couldn't go in the top commons but that you've got an eye on i have one i'll give you some time to think mine mine is the one in a blue two one and whenever it deals damage you put uh two cards into target player's graveyard you do like that card a lot yeah i don't i don't think it's i I just i just think it could be very well placed in the format especially if there's like a blue black aggro deck yeah no i don't have a good answer for this uh i wish i did you put me on the spot here yeah i just wanted to shout out towering wave mystic nice i like it shout out to blue something um all right so uh As I said, we'll have the spreadsheet with all this uh, information in where you download the show. If you want to check out the full set review I did with Quarter Calls, that's on our YouTube channel. We'll also link that in the the show notes where you download the show. Um, And Ben and I are both going to be participating in the WotC-sponsored Arena Early Access event on Wednesday, January 15th. So we'll be getting to jam some draft and sealed on Arena. Thank you to the Wizards for inviting both of us to that event. Um, And we'll get our hands on these cards pretty early and often in the coming weeks leading up to GP New Jersey. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty spiky. I'm excited about GP New Jersey. Yeah, I can't wait to 1-3 drop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Good luck at your pre-release weekends, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. The sacrifice outlets that are plus...
pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Very pleasant. <laughs>